You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career for Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Just want to say good Thursday afternoon. Hope everybody's doing well. I know we've got some nice weather down here in Tennessee. Walked outside to let my, my dog Nitschke out. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it, it feels like spring outside. Now, I'm sure that's going to change here in a, a day or two, so we're not going to get our hopes up too much. but um, I don't know, it's just a nice little nice little break from the cold spell here. So um, today's show, man, we have got several things we're going to hit on. Um, we've got two emails from listeners we're going to answer, and, and there's been multiple emails that I've responded to. And, uh, you know, some of the others didn't really warrant um, talking about on the show because it's just conversation, as always. And I just want you guys to know, I appreciate those emails just as much, if not more, than the ones that I do use on the show because just having that conversation with fans behind the scenes has been really, really cool. Um, and uh, just building those friendships, man, that's what it's all about. That's what being a fan is all about, you know. And, um, yeah, I've got, gotten some feedback on Twitter as well. and I think I'm being labeled as the positive Packers podcaster, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Although Nate calling into Packernet after dark there a few weeks ago was was kind of funny that he said he was bullied bullied into being positive, <clears throat> if I understood correctly. He was bullied by the positivity crowd into thinking the Packers were going to be something that they weren't here down the stretch, which I got to be real with you. I will totally accept that role any day of the week and <laughs> twice on Sunday um, if somebody wants to blame me for – being positive and making them believe in something as opposed to just sitting back and being depressed all the time. So we love Nate, love his calls, and uh, obviously interact with him on Twitter as well. But um, all right, let's just get into the show, man. Uh, first email comes from Bill. Well, first, let me give, let me give you kind of an outline. Bill asked a, t- uh, a question about tight ends in the draft. So we're going to hit on some tight end draft talk a bit. You guys know I've been touching on free agency more than the draft because free agency comes first. You're starting to see that free agency is like, man, I don't know. They're they're probably going to sign a few free agents that we, you know, otherwise wouldn't have heard of as far as them being top free agents. You know, that's kind of Goody's style, and it's worked out. You know, Devondre Campbell, and I don't know when these guys were signed. Some, some might have been, you know, obviously during the season like Russell Douglas, but some of the people on the roster, you know, um, you know Devondre Campbell, Russell Douglas, those are the two that come to mind. You know, Rudy Ford, obviously. As soon as we break camp, they go out and get Rudy Ford. He ended up being a difference maker. Probably going to be players like that that they go after in free agency because of the current roster and cap um, and the way that they want to try to build this roster moving forward, of course, if Aaron retires or comes back. Um, I don't feel like that changes as much as a lot of people are letting on. Man, I'm learning that that a lot of people are just uh, 
they're firing up their consoles and playing Madden, as do I from time to time. I really enjoy it. But they go on there and it's like, hey, I don't understand why the Packers don't just cut this guy and sign that guy. And it's like, man, there's a human element involved. There's a locker room, you know, unity that's involved. And it's not just numbers. It's not just, okay, this guy is rated higher than that guy. And you, you hear us, we talk about PFF all the time. And, and and rightfully so. I mean, you've got to have you've got to have a database to start on. But to pretend like these, I mean, there's a reason that the Madden ratings change constantly throughout the year, you know. And you never hear about the people who, at the first of the season, said this guy's going to be a stud. If they end up being a bust, they don't come back around. And go, hey guys, I got that one wrong. Do they? <laughs> so you're only hearing about the positive aspect of someone's opinion based on anything in general. Just using, like I said, a video game as as an example, um, and it's okay. It's fun. It's it's fun to kind of interact like that and, and look at the scenarios. I get it. I completely understand. Um, I'm just saying, there's more to it than just you know, than just X's and O's and just you know uh, ratings and player grades and all that stuff. There's a lot that comes into factor. We've seen it schematically. I mean, the Packers ran in circles this year on offense mainly because you had a lot of pieces that didn't really fit and you try to do too many things at one time. And you had a, a quarterback that was banged up and, or had a down year, right? Um, there's a lot of things that come into play there. For me, I watch the tape and I see a lot of schematics and I'm like, Holy cow, man, what were, I, I'm trying to understand what was the goal here? What was their goal here? When you watch San Francisco, you know what the goal is. When you watch Cincinnati, you know what the goal is. When you watch Baltimore, you know what the goal is. You might not agree with it, but you know what the goal is, right? Um, Philadelphia Eagles, that's a six-back system, baby. You know exactly what they're running there. That's RPR all day long, six-back. We're going to put stress on this. You, you know exactly what they're doing. When you watch Green Bay, it's, ah, we might want to – we might want to run zone. We might want to run duo. Heck, we might run a little power. Okay, this play here, let's run a man blocking scheme. All right, now let's let's spread it out and go west coast. All right, now let's mix in some RPO. It's like, man, you know, being mediocre at five different things doesn't give you an advantage. Now, being good at only one thing, that can put you at a disadvantage as well. You've seen it in the past. It's why you get teams that they make it to the playoffs and immediately they're eliminated. And you knew they were going to be eliminated, right? It could be roster limitation, but for the most part, it's you're not able to adjust and adapt on the fly. That doesn't mean five different things. Let's do this the first quarter of the season. You know, down the stretch, you want to be able to adjust. You want to have that flexibility, absolutely. But I don't know, man. I just seen it all year long. Things need to be simplified. Things need to be simplified, and you need to key in on your strengths. And I just feel like they didn't do that. But let's get into the emails here, first of all. Um, the tight end email, we got a quarterback draft class email, um, and then we've got a couple of things I'm going to hit on out, uh, as we wrap up the show with like Aaron Jones and a couple other things. So we got a lot to cover. I'm going to dive right in. I've talked too much already. So Bill Ryan, hi, Clayton. This came from uh, the Yankee New Yorker Packer fan, Bill Ryan. He said, hi, Clayton. I'm with you on Michael Mayer. I watched Notre Dame for the, for the last two years, and the Packers should pick him. Kittle and Kelsey are game changers. Bill from New York. Uh, Bill, thank you for the email, bub. Um, here's, here's the deal with tight end, man. I've heard some people on Twitter say you never take a tight end with a first round pick. That sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And, and I try not to use the word stupid. Like, again, my response to that is always, okay, so 
if Gronk's available at number 15, do you, you're saying you don't take him because he's a tight end? That's silly. If Kelsey's there at tight end at number 15, you don't take him? You know, Mark Andrews, you wouldn't take him? I mean, you can go all the way down the board. Kittle, like if Kittle is there, you're telling me if if George Kittle is available at 15, you wouldn't draft him this year. So the question becomes, how do you know if they're that? that that's exactly why you scout. That's exactly why the the uh, the final product of the NFL draft gets sh- shifted around and shuffled so much, right? Because teams believe they've got their guy. They think they, they think this guy is at the top. The other team thinks this guy's at the top. And all this shuffling takes place, and not to mention trading around and and uh, maneuvering around in different draft spots and all things like that. Like, but to to sit here and pretend like you wouldn't take Rob Gronkowski with the fifteenth pick because he's a tight end and you just don't draft tight ends that early is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I'm not suggesting that Michael Mayer is Rob Gronkowski, although his nickname is Baby Gronk. Okay, he wears eighty seven. He plays like Gronk. Um, you know, Gronk fell in the second round. If I remember correctly, Gronk was a fullback, and I think he was at Arizona. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Um, and people knew that he could come out of that system and play every position at tight end. I don't know if people knew he could play the boundary spot, you know, basically a wide receiver spot as much as he ended up playing it, but he did, right? Sure hands, great body control, very physical in the run game, blocking, um, all those things. But if you know that Michael Mayer, um, one thing that you can do, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in the show, you can compare past draft grades. I think that's something that gets swept under the rug by fans. All these teams have grades on these prospects coming into the league, right? And that determines where they're willing to take them. That determines when a team's willing to trade up. <clears throat> when they traded up to get Jordan Love, what it, what it tells me is, whether I agree with it or not, whether Ryan agrees with it or not, it tells me that in that moment, the Packers seen Jordan Love as a prospect that graded out higher than they were picking, and they knew this is worth giving up draft capital to go get because the grade that we have attached to him. Well, what ends up happening is those grades stay connected to those players, meaning <clears throat> three years down the road, if a player becomes available – You've got this front office scouting system, right? You've got you've got in the front office, you've got free agent scouts that are literally monitoring the free agent market constantly. And the starting point to determining whether a player should or should not be signed by a team or could or could not, you know, contribute is that draft grade they had on. Let's take Jaron Reed, for example. You know, Jaron Reed was a high pick, right? Now, people playing Madden, <laughs> this is why I'm, I'm gonna get back to it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just this is this is how I see it. People playing Madden will look at Jaron Reed and go, there's way better free agents rated higher than him. Why did they sign him? Because that Madden rating is not accurate. Guys, do a little digging into who handles the Madden ratings, the Madden ratings. And it's it's not Chad Ochocinco, okay? He's the face of it. They signed Chad Ochocinco to be the face of it to bring what? Credibility. When you don't have credibility, in in the business world, in any anything in life, you try to borrow credibility from someone who has it. That's exactly what they've done. They've got a guy who was parking cars as a valet that they signed or that they hired to do their ratings adjusting. That's one of one of a multitude of people. Guys, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody being a valet. It's it's you know it could be a way more honorable job than most of, if not all, the things I've done in life. But to pretend like that guy who's parking cars understands uh, NFL talent 
better than GMs across the league is just silly. If a guy's sitting out there in free agency, <clears throat> how in the world you could have him have him rated higher than someone who's on a roster is just crazy to me. It's absolutely silly. So what it tells me is the Packers went back when Jaron Reed was available, and they went, all right, man, what free agents <clears throat> could we potentially sign that are on the market? All right, let's go to our draft grades. Wow, we had a we had a high grade on Jaron Reed. All right, based off our current roster, comparing that grade to others. All right, now what's he done at the NFL level? Okay, let's take that into consideration. That determines whether you sign somebody. So these grades matter, right? That's what I'm getting at. But you know, anyone who says tight end is not a position that's that important or whatever, we've we've now neglected it. How many years? We got Josiah DeGuar in the third round. But he was not a tight end that was signed to be a starting tight end, attached tight end, flexed out wide tight end. We all know he was supposed to play that H-back role, right? Now, we all expected Matt LaFleur's offense to be like San Francisco's and be able to use DeGuara, you know, kind of like check. Well, what does Green Bay do? They come out in a lot of 12 look and flex people out wide. Yes, DeGuara will be in the back from time to time, but they don't run it like a traditional eye formation, right? They don't run a lot of looky RPOs out of the eye. Okay, and they darn sure aren't doing that subtle, uh, you know, movement consistently that they're using with use check just to get defenses off balance. But are tight ends important? I'm going to answer your question right now. Let's look at the top teams, the top five teams in PPP across the league. I did not write these tight ends names down. I'm going to rattle them off. And some of you going, I don't believe you. Okay, that's fine. You can (laughs) put your foil cap on and believe that I got the list right here. But I refused to write it down because I knew that I would be able to remember a tight end on a roster if, indeed, they had a good tight end. Here are the top five teams in PPP. Kansas City, starting at .453. Points per play is what I'm talking about. Let me give me a swig of water here. Points per play um, is basically exactly what it it sounds like. It's a, a scoring metric that's used. In my opinion, it's the most important um metric used to determine how effective an offense is and i think a lot goes into play there a lot can be said about a team with a high ppp typically you you won't find a team with a high points per play average you know high meaning top five top ten and go man they don't have a good quarterback or man they don't have a good this piece right well the top five teams kansas city san francisco buffalo philadelphia and dallas you know what's crazy guys all five of those teams that are the top five, the top of the mountain in points per play, are all in the playoffs. Isn't that wild? And what's crazy is all of them are still alive in the playoffs. So Kansas City, who you got? Travis Kelsey, just rattling it off. San Francisco, who you got? George Kittle. Buffalo, who you got? Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is an elite. I agree, but he is a solid tight end. Would you take Dawson Knox over Bob Tunyon? Would you take him over Josiah Aguara? I know I would. You see the one-handed catch last week? Right. You've seen him blocking in line when they decide to do those quarterback runs like he's a dog. He may not be at the top of the list, but he is he is a solid starting tight end. Philadelphia, you've got Goddard. Right. Goddard, I think he ended up grading out close to 80 this year in PFF. Solid. And then Dallas, you got Dalton Schultz. Right. Dalton Schultz. Remember, we talked about him a couple weeks ago or actually a couple episodes ago. He's set to hit the free agent market right now, which I don't think they'll allow him to hit the market. He's he's pretty important to that offense. And, uh, man, Coach Mike, he sure knows how to use the tight ends, don't he? Um, I love seeing Mike McCarthy do well, man. 
I'm just so appreciative of he made my Packer fanhood uh, so much more enjoyable becoming the head coach of the Packers and taking them to that Super Bowl victory. And he does not get enough credit. I mean, it, the thing that I've noticed, and I don't want to go on this rant, but I'm going to do it. Um, hopefully it doesn't turn into a rant. <clears throat> when McCarthy was here, right, when he came on board, it was, okay, do we want to keep Brett around? All right, and I know Brett's a hot button topic. I'm talking about football, Brett. I'm not talking about off the field, Brett. Okay, I'm talking about you can't you can't talk about this topic without mentioning him, right? So he was a quarterback that was still playing at a fairly high level. Now, when when McCarthy's first year happened, I think Aaron or uh, Brett, I mean, he threw a ton of interceptions that year, if I remember correctly, in 2005, I believe it was. Um, I mean, he was giving giving those things out like Christmas gifts, right? Well, in 06. McCarthy really hammered down on him. Was like, here's the system. Here's what we're going to do. Brett embraced it, and they started to win games. And then in 07, of course, right, and on and on. Now, when it came to uh, when it came time to make a decision between Favre and Aaron Rodgers, guys, they wanted Favre back. People forget this. You need to go back and watch Last Day at Lambeau. Watch that documentary. You can find it online. Somebody sent it to me. I think it was on Vimeo or something like that. Um, you can still find it online. It is an unbelievable documentary. It tells the true story behind the scenes of how Brett wavered like three or four times. And I'm not here to try to demonize his football decisions, right? That's, you know, everybody got the right to leave if they want to. But I did not like how he threw it at the feet of Ted Thompson. And, and Ted Thompson was taking all the heat for it, right? People were picketing outside. And it's like, man, this guy, this guy literally changed his mind. <clears throat> People were saying that Aaron Rodgers is holding him hostage, and it's silly. Brett Favre changed his mind three times in the course of, I think, a month, month and a half. When I say changed his mind, he said, I'm going to retire. And he said at the podium, crying his eyes out, saying, in no way could anybody else have persuaded me either way. It's the decision I made, right? Basically said the front office had nothing to do with it. They did everything they could to try to get me to come back. And then a few weeks later, he said he's got the itch, right? So they reached out to him and said, okay, you want to come back? All right, we're going to fly the jet down to pick you up, bring you back up to Green Bay and make the announcement you're coming back. The day, I think it was the day before, and you can watch this in last day at Lambeau, the day before they were going to send the jet down, Brett changed his mind again. So at that point, Mike McCarthy was furious, they said, and he was like, you know what? We're moving forward, Aaron. The train has left the station, right? That type of thing. He, it was later that he made that comment, but that's when the decision was made. <clears throat> then a few weeks later, what happened? Brett decided he wanted to come back. And they said, look, man, we've already made our decision. We're moving forward with Aaron Rodgers. It's over now. What did Brett do? He hopped on a jet, flew to Green Bay, and tried to press him. He went to he went to the stadium expecting to be let in the locker room. And they were like, listen, bub, we've told you. You can go up here to this box. We're not going to throw you out in the parking lot, but go up to this luxury box. You can watch the game, but we're moving forward Aaron Rodgers. So that's how that all kind of transpired. I just when, – when I get into talking about that stuff, man um, – it still amazes me how many people don't know the true story. So don't take my word for it. Go watch that documentary. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So we talked about the importance of tight end, man. You never know what we're going to get off on here uh, as far as tangents on <laughs> this show. We started with tight end talk and how important it is, and we ended up over here with, uh, with Brett. And I don't even know how we got there, to be honest with you. Um, I know we were just talking about the transition through the years and – and all that, but oh, it was Co Coach Mike McCarthy. That's what it was. Yeah. So I don't, I don't demonize Mike McCarthy. That's what I was getting at. Is at the end of his, isn't it, isn't it funny that when his time had ran stale, I was one that was furious that they fired Mike McCarthy. I was like, 
I remember listening to Ryan's pod and respectfully disagreeing with him because if I remember correctly, he was one that was like, man, we just need a, we need new scenery. And he, and I think he still feels that way, right? Like we need to change the scenery. We need to change things up. Everything had gotten stale. I believe a large, large, large majority of the fan base agrees with that sentiment, you know, at least to a certain extent. I personally didn't. I felt like, man, this, this guy is a great head coach. Why are we running him out of town? But the majority of the fan base was he's wasting Aaron Rodgers' career. Okay, you fire McCarthy, right? And at that point, I hated Aaron Rodgers. I'm being honest. I, I complete I went from hating Brett to getting in Aaron's corner, right? And then when that happened with him and McCarthy, I bought into all the media hype that they absolutely hated each other, which we now know was not true. Was there riffs? Absolutely. But they were reporting things like Aaron was just completely disrespecting McCarthy and this and that. And it all, in my opinion, and we're not even going to argue about it, I think that the majority of that was inaccurate, but there was a rift between him and the coaching staff, right? So you run McCarthy out of town, and now Aaron Rodgers is at the helm, and then this whole vaccination thing happens. And that that's when I'm like, hold up. Now all of a sudden everybody hates Aaron because before it was McCarthy's wasting Aaron's prime. Everybody loves Aaron. Aaron can do no wrong, right? And then the second that he makes a decision that goes against the grain of some people in society, now he's the bad guy. And the point is, there's always a bad guy, you know? The front office was the bad guy for letting Brett Favre go, right, for trading him. Mike McCarthy's the bad guy because he's wasted Aaron Rodgers' uh, career. Now we have a down year, and Aaron Rodgers is the reason that we struggle. It's like, come on, man. It's a team sport. How are we always picking one person to beat? That's how we got there. So, anyway, tight ends. Back to your question, Bill. So sorry for the uh, for the, <laughs> the little side trail there. Um, the top tight ends in the draft are Michael Mayer. These, this is according to uh, NFL mock draft database. So this is a consensus big board where they take a ton of media outlets and people that put out mock drafts and big boards and all that. They compile all the information together, and that gets what they call a consensus big board. I think it's an excellent tool. It proved very handy for me last year in building my database, and I do put a little bit of stock into it, you know, as far as uh, believing it's good information. Michael Mayer comes in at 17. He had peaked at 10, so he was as high as 10. He's at 17 right now. Mock Draft Database has his projection going to Green Bay at number 15. Guys, that excites me because his PFF grade is like 91. Um, Maybe I need to do that like I did with the quarterbacks on this episode. Uh, At a later episode, I may try to go through and kind of scout on myself. I try to steer clear of that, and I'm going to talk about that before I talk quarterbacks here in a second. Um, But, yeah. Michael Mayer coming in at 17. He peaked at 10. Then you got Dornell Washington from Georgia. He is at 43. He peaked at 28. They've got him projected to go 39 to Carolina. So that's one that could potentially be taken in the first round. Um, Dalton Kincaid from Utah, number 48. He peaked at 48. So his stock's as high as it's ever been. They got him projected to go to the Detroit Lions um, at number 55. That's another one, too. You know, number six on that list for top offenses was Detroit and PPP right off the top of my head, Hawkinson, right? Wasn't Hawkinson there tied in for most of the year. They traded him away, right? Now you can, you could argue the offense got better after they traded him or whatever, but that's just a team that's wow. Number six in PPP. Oh yeah. They had this tied on the roster for, you know, a good portion of the year, you know, at least before the trade deadline. It's just, I don't know. Tight ends are important, man. <clears throat> you see what it did for Minnesota too. You know, I know we all, 
talk about Minnesota being frauds. It's it's too easy of a, a joke to make and a poke to to put on them. But uh, they had a good year, man. In my opinion, I mean, they uh, they cut the corner. They made the playoffs. You win twelve games. You know, I think I'm <clears throat> in the minority on that. I'm of the opinion that there are no bad teams in the NFL. You've got good teams and great teams, right? And if you're a good team and you got a chance to punch your ticket in the playoffs, you could be like the Green Bay Packers in 2010 and go on a run and win the whole thing. All right. You may see it this year. Who knows? Um, you know, with one of the lower seed teams. But uh, Dalton Kincaid, like I said, number 48, peaked at 48, projected to go to the Lions at 55. Then you got Luke Musgrave <clears throat> at number 50. He is projected to go 54. He peaked at 50. So those two guys, their stock's as high as it's ever been. So um, with that being said, we're not going to go outside of the top 50. Um, I really feel like, uh, you know, those tight ends in the top 50 could be, you know, day one starters. I mean, you, you don't you don't take a player that high and expect them to just sit on the bench, right? I mean, you've seen it in Green Bay this year. Put Quay Walker right on the field, right? And then, of course, uh, Devontae Wyatt, in my opinion, just like Ryan said, he should have been on the field all year long. I completely agree with that, man. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand more than the front office or the coaching staff. Um, I just don't have that kind of ego, but man, when you see him play, it's exciting. So I hope we hope we see a lot of him next year. So basically, you got those four tight ends. I would be willing to take Mayer with number fifteen. If you're not going to take him, if if you don't take Mayer with fifteen, if he's gone or you decide not to, then I think one of those other three tight ends would be worth your second round pick. Um, but you got to address it, man. I think there's a good chance Mercedes Lewis comes back if Aaron does right. Um, I think there's a good chance they bring back Tyler Davis. I think that's possible. But if you were to draft Michael Mayer and you bring back Big Dog, right, and then you bring back, you know, uh, let's say you let's say Bob Tunyon goes and tests the market and he comes back and he didn't have anything, right, and you can get him at a, a discount price. Your four tight ends going into the year would be DeGuara at your H-back, right? You could start Michael Mayer and or Mercedes Lewis um, – as a as attached offensive lineman, you would have Tyler Davis who would know the system if you decided to bring him back, and you'd have Bob Tunyon that you could flex out wide. The beautiful thing about Michael Mayer, and you're going to hear a lot about it leading up to the draft, is he can play that boundary X. He can split out wide like Gronk did. Not saying he's going to be as effective as Gronk, but it's something he could possibly do. So, Bill, hopefully that answers your question. Um, and I, first of all, I don't even know if it was a question. It was a comment. You saying you like Mayer at 15. I completely agree, bud. Um, now that may change. You never know as more information comes out, but I'm telling you right now, guys, it was this point last year that safety Kyle Hamilton was the talk of the draft. He was the darling, right? And then as soon as the pro the combine and the pro days and all that stuff comes out, he sinks like a rock, he falls to 14. He ends up being the best safety in the league, according to PFF. So you really got to put stock in these early lists. I typically, what I try to do, and this is just me personally, and I think it's one of the reasons why my board has been real accurate. I think I hit on 50%, if I remember correctly, right around a little more than 50. It might have been closer to 60% on my big board um, as far as where players were ranked and how they performed. You know, Quay, I mentioned Quay Walker was down on my list. PFF agrees that he did not play well this year. Um, I've I seen it from time to time this year. I was just like, holy cow, man, this guy, he's so raw going to take some time i still think he can put it together but that's just one example right you know christian watson was really high on my list why because before even before he ran the 40 yard dash and everything people were talking about this guy's got a ton of talent right and then he goes out and backs everything up with a 
with the 40 and all the combine numbers and all that. But I try to put this list together before the 40 and the combine or before the combine and the pro days and everything comes out um, because I feel like this is based on the tape. It really is. Um, 90% of this information right now, pre-combine, pre-pro day, is based on the tape, and I think the tape is the most important thing. Yes, the other metrics can come into play for tiebreakers and this and that. If somebody's got the same grade, if if let's say Michael Mayer and I'm well, Michael Mayer probably won't. Let's say Darnell Washington and Dalton Kincaid, you know, at 43 and 48, let's say they both come out and their tape grades out exactly the same way. Then I can go to the metrics and go, okay, well, you know, Dalton Kincaid had a better 40 yard dash and he bench pressed more. I'd take him over over the uh, over Darnell or whatever. So that's kind of how I look at that. Bill, appreciate the email, buddy. That was awesome. Um, and it's great to get those talking points in for sure. Uh, and we'll cover tight end a little bit deeper. You guys know it's one of my positions of need. I feel like uh, uh, tight end and safety are the top needs, not necessarily in that order. Probably safety, then tight end if you bring Mercedes Lewis back. But those are kind of the top points for me uh, of need, and I think wide receiver as well. You need another wide receiver to put into the mix there with Christian Watson and um, Romeo Dobbs. And it doesn't have to be a first-round pick. It doesn't have to be one of the top five free agents. It's just somebody who can compete for that number two spot and contribute. It'll uh, it'll help bring Romeo Dobbs along. And then also um, you got somebody uh, producing along the way. So let's move on to the next email. This comes from Nathan Norris. He says, hey, Clayton. First of all, this comes from Berkshire, England, which is really, really cool, man. Um, I never thought I would have a podcast. Uh, I darn sure didn't think I would have a podcast where people were listening, you know, across the pond. So – Nathan, really appreciate you, man, um, for uh, for listening to the show. He says, hey, Clayton, just a big thanks to you and your content this season. It's been a pleasure listening to your podcast the past six months, particularly during the, the tougher times. Um, love your positivity, and even though I don't always agree with you, I respect, I respect your approach to each subject regarding the Packers. Also, in quotations, he says, and I'm not sure if this is a compliment or not. This <laughs> this ain't gonna be good. Your shows always send my daughter to sleep when we go on long drives. So my wife thanks you for that as well. <laughs> that is hilarious, dude. Like, all right. So there's the compliment of the day. Your your podcast is so boring it puts my daughter to sleep. <laughs> now I appreciate that, man. It must be the uh, she probably relates to my accent. In my terminology, because I do speak English on about a third grade level. So that's probably you could you could tell me trying to read the email in this fine print off the computer screen. So all right. So he says, I've seen a few takes about Packers taking a swing at quarterback in the draft. Would love to know your thoughts on that. If Rogers stays, then realistically, I think we need to trade love. So surely it would make sense to take a shot with a quarterback in this class. I've seen Richardson mentioned from Florida, but I'm not sure. I watched him a lot during the season, and he just seems to lack a brain sometimes. Undoubtedly, the talent is there, and I think his ceiling is probably quite high, but I feel like he should have stayed another year in Florida. I believe he'd be a reach at 15-2. What do you think? Are there any quarterbacks you like in this class that are realistic? If you've already spoken about this subject, I apologize. Uh, All the best, mate. Nathan from Berkshire, England. Nathan, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for the email. I want to say this. I watched Richardson a lot this year, too. You can go back and find the tweets in my timeline. Every This is me personally. I'm not trying to say that, that I'm right and other people are wrong. Okay, please don't take me that way. This is just my personal opinion. 
watching a game live, which is totally different from watching the tape, keen on a position, look at the mechanics, looking at the everything. This is just me watching a the game. There were so many times I watched him play, watch him play against Kentucky. Maybe that's the one that's burned into my mind the most. I watched him play against Tennessee, other teams. There were so many times that he would make things happen with his legs. And then when he got out of the pocket or or even set up the throw, it was like, God, boy, he's really inaccurate. Now, you guys know how I stand on quarterbacks, right? The most important aspect in a quarterback's game, in my opinion, hands down, is accuracy, quick release, pre-snap read, post-snap read. What does that mean? How accurate are you throwing the ball? If you cannot be accurate throwing the football, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a quarter, a good quarterback. You know, we've seen Aaron's accuracy dip to 61% in that time where he was really injured with that thumb. Before that, he was 67%. Guys, the difference between 67% and 61% is huge. Now, after the bye, we, we showed you that he went right back to his career average of 65% completion percentage, okay? Um, so accuracy is huge, you know? They started the season off fairly strong, right? Packers, I think they were 3-1 and one at some point. Man, so sad looking back on that going, wow, what a great start. But his accuracy was 67%. During the dip, it was 61% when they went in that huge slump. Then they come out of the slump, and he's back up to 65%. That is not a coincidence. When, Aaron, when, when quarterbacks are playing their best, they have to be accurate. You notice I'm not talking about arm strength. Guys, there is a certain level of arm strength a quarterback has to have to play in the NFL. I completely agree. But to pretend like somebody who can just throw it two yards longer, can throw it 73 yards as opposed to 71 yards, is more important than a quarterback being accurate, is absolutely insane to me. So you got to be able to be accurate with the football. Quick release. The great quarterbacks in the history of the game have a quick release, right? Pre-snap read, meaning a quarterback's ability to come to the line, dissect the defense pre-snap, get you in the right look, and then make the right checks at the line of scrimmage, setting the protection, calling out the mic, being able to go to the can play, staying with the original play, just the, the subtle things. Pre-snap read is huge. You're seeing that from Brock Purdy, right? And I know he's inaccurate. He's been, he's been I think, in that that last game he finished at 60%. But, man, he, he, he has the ability to pre-snap read. It's just he doesn't have – the reason he fought, fell in the draft, in my opinion, is he doesn't have that – uh, that great accuracy, right? And then a post-snap read is obviously the ability to understand the pressure around you and be able to read past beyond the sugar. What do I mean by that? These defenses are sugaring with certain defensive looks. Pre-snap read, here's what I think they're doing as soon as the ball snap, bang. Post-snap read, oh, late rotation. They're actually in this defense. Here's my read, the ability to do that. Those are the four things that are most important to me. You notice 40-yard dash wasn't in there? You notice that the shuttle wasn't in there, right? The vertical wasn't in there because I'm sorry, man. You put Tom Brady out there running the 40 yard dash and come back and talk to him. Put Aaron Rodgers running the 40 yard dash the last five years. Wouldn't be good. I guarantee you wouldn't be running four six anymore. I'd be closer to four nine, right? Or maybe four eight. So you got to kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. So I'm going to answer your question, Nathan, about Anthony Richardson, but I'm going to do it in a little more detailed way. Um, what I wanted to do. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Well, first of all, let's give you my first opinion right offhand. I watched him play from time to time. probably caught him in three or four games. And every time I watched him, the thing that stood out to me was he he is way too quick twitch. He's way too quick to move out of the pocket. Like he wants to rely on his legs too much. And he's an inaccurate passer. Those are my top two things. Okay. So that's on the surface. Now, Nathan, I'm going to go ahead and close your email out. I apologize if I forget your name when I reference it again here in a minute. But let's move on to this quarterback class. So what I did was I took the top four quarterbacks in this class and I basically graded them out based off of those four things we just talked about. Now, you may not agree with how I got to that point because I don't have time to watch all the tape. Guys, what I did was I watched a highlight clip roughly five to seven minutes long of each of these quarterbacks, and that's how I determine quick release, and that's how I determine post-snap read, uh, along with PPP of their team because I think it's important. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but that's okay. When you're talking about potentially drafting a quarterback at the number 15 spot or trading up, right, then you better get this right. So I'm going to err on the side of caution that if a team's PPP was absolutely horrible, then their quarterback probably played a huge, huge role in that. That's just me personally. Not saying you have to agree with it. But you basically got three, you got two scenarios, right, Nathan? This is what's going to determine what direction you go in. You've either got Aaron Rodgers returning to the Green Bay Packers for one more year, or you've got Aaron retiring. If Aaron returns, what you've got to ask yourself is, is Jordan Love the guy, the quarterback of the future, right? If he is, then you sign him to an extension and you've got your starting quarterback. Now, with that being said, Danny Etling steps in as the backup, right, in this scenario that Aaron Rodgers retires. If Danny Etling steps in as a backup and a generational talent a Jordan Love graded top player falls to number 15 to you at the quarterback position. Guess what you're doing? A GM is taking that quarterback 10 out of 10 times if the grade is high enough. So the question is always going to be, do the Green Bay Packers grade these quarterbacks in this class higher than Jordan Love, right? So I just want to set the stage before I go into the quarterback scouting here and let you know that this is what determines that decision. So if Aaron Rodgers retires, right, then if he retires and you know Jordan loves your guy, you still may potentially draft a guy at that quarterback position because if one of them drop and they're graded higher on that scale that we talked about earlier, whatever that scale looks like for the, you know, said name of front office, right, whether it's the Packers, the Niners, or whoever, if they grade out as high or higher than Jordan Love, you're going to take him because – in your philosophy, in your in your you know in your mind, in your system, it's hey, this guy could be just as good or better than Jordan Love. If they don't grade out as high as Jordan Love on your scale, then you don't draft them. It's that simple. And you got Danny Etling is going to be your backup. Let's say Aaron Rodgers returns. Guess what the question is? Is Jordan Love your guy? <laughs> because if he is, like I pointed out on Cap, 
I think this is going to be Aaron's last year in Green Bay. If Aaron wants to play beyond this year, he'll probably get traded at this point. If Jordan Love is the guy. If Jordan Love isn't the guy, right, it's a whole different ballgame. But let's assume Aaron Rodgers returns and Jordan Love's your guy. At this point, you re-sign Jordan Love to an extension. And, and I would prefer you not use the fifth-year option, but try to work out a deal like we talked about. We found that his, if they think he's a starting caliber quarterback, his fair market value is going to be somewhere between 17 and $22 million-ish, right? So let's just say, you know, first of all, the fifth-year option is going to be $20 million cap hit fully guaranteed anyway. Granted, that contract will travel if he trade he's traded. But if you get into, all right, let's going to sign, let's sign him to an extended deal, I'm okay with a $20 million per per year average. And with an extension for Jordan Love, you can maneuver that money. We talked about that on the last podcast, right? So if Aaron returns and Jordan is your guy, you sign him to that extension. Now you've got Danny Etling sitting on the practice squad, right? You're not going to carry three quarterbacks. So if Aaron returns and Jordan Love is your guy, you definitely are not drafting a quarterback. I do not see a scenario where they think so highly of a quarterback falling to them that they're going to be willing to sign Jordan Love to an extension and then also put this quarterback on the roster and tie up the 53rd spot with a a third-string quarterback that's never going to play. Now, what's the caveat there? There's one team in the league that stands out to me that did it this year. Do you know who that is? That's San Francisco 49ers. People people judge the crap out of it. With the very last pick of the draft, they drafted Brock Purdy, right? You had Trey Lance starting. You signed uh, Jimmy Garoppolo on a really, really reduced uh, deal because there was no trade market there, and Jimmy decided, hey, look, I'm going to take lesser money and stay here. Trey Lance comes out and plays like absolute dog crap, right? He gets hurt, goes on the IR. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, gets them in a position, leads them back to where they can make the playoffs. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, and now Brock Purdy's your starting quarterback, and he's the darling of the playoffs right now. All of none of that would have happened if they not had not been willing to draft Brock Purdy, but more importantly, tie up that 53rd spot on the 53-man roster, right? With him, with them carrying three quarterbacks. You telling me? That that GM John Lynch didn't see something in Brock Purdy because some people are going, oh, it's luck, it's luck, guys. Look, I'm a Packers fan too, but you got to call a spade a spade. If you see it, you got to say it. Brock Purdy looks like he's the real deal. He looks like the the moment's not too big for him. That could change. And yes, he has inaccuracy issues, but his ability to scramble around and make things happen um, when the play breaks down is is pretty impressive. And his ability to make the checks into the RPOs that I know everybody absolutely hates when Aaron Rodgers checks into those same RPOs. <laughs> but his ability to do that, it's impressive. So that's kind of how this all lays out. You've got those two scenarios. Is Aaron returning? Is Aaron retired? Um, now, if Aaron returns, Love is your guy, you sign him to an extension, and you only draft a quarterback that's graded higher than Jordan Love because you can never have too many quarterbacks, too many great quarterbacks. The best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. I tried to find who was responsible for quoting it, and when I Googled it, all I got was 1,500 articles about fantasy football and drafting quarterbacks, and I just wanted to punch my computer screen. But um, I could see a scenario where Aaron returns, love is your guy, and you only draft a quarterback if that grade is through the freaking roof. Now, if Aaron retires, love isn't your guy, you could draft a quarterback if they fall, or you could trade up if you've got a guy, and you know in your mind Jordan Love isn't the guy and you're not going to re-sign him, then you you might get aggressive here. If Aaron retires, you might get aggressive and go, all right, let's go get our quarterback now. Bang, you get him. Then you've got two options. 
you let Jordan Love play this final year out, right, and then hit free agency, at which at that point you could possibly franchise tag him depending on what the ca- the cap looks like. And there's going to be a ton of money freed up with Aaron retiring. And then obviously these other contracts getting one year older. There's a lot of things that come into play. But you could draft a quarterback if they fall or trade up and get your quarterback of the future. Let Love play for one year. Guys, that's, that's not a complete loss. You could also trade Jordan Love and make Danny Etling the backup and thrust a rookie right in the starting row. I'm not a fan of that personally. So these are all the scenarios that could play out. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I see it, man. It all the one the one commonality in everything that I just said, this whole paper of notes that I put down on the quarterback position. Right. The one commonality, Nathan, is this. Does a quarterback in this draft grade out higher than Jordan Love? And are they available at 15? And. Is their grade high enough to justify you trading up to go get them and now make them the quarterback of the future. Because I could see that being a scenario too. Aaron Rodgers returns, a quarterback gets within reach that's graded higher than Jordan Love, trade up and get him, turn around and trade Jordan Love, flip him for picks. I don't know what those picks will be, but um, now you've got your quarterback of the future, Aaron's returning. The only the only negative there, in my opinion, he gets to sit behind Aaron for potentially one or two years, as where Jordan Love would have gotten three years, and he's shown that that progression, that growth, man. It's fascinating, and it's why I don't understand why fans on Twitter are getting mad about it, like as if you you either you either like Jordan Love or you don't. Jordan Love's the real deal. Aaron's washed up, or it's. Aaron's the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. He can do no wrong, and you need to trade love. You should have never drafted him in the first place. I don't subscribe to that either. I respect those opinions, but, man, you can never have too many great quarterbacks on your team. Guys, San Francisco, while Joe Montana was on their Super Bowl roster, they were winning Super Bowls with Joe Montana. He was on their roster. They went out and traded for Steve Young. I can't remember what they gave. It may have been a first-round pick. I can't remember, but he was in Tampa. Could you imagine if right now the Packers went out and traded for another quarterback with Aaron Rodgers on the roster? Oh, my God. You think Twitter is bad right now. It would implode. It would absolutely implode. So that's how we get to the point. Now, I'm going to give you – I usually don't do this. You guys, this is very, very rare. I, I am not a scout. I don't try to pretend to be. I don't have a passion to be a scout. Um, it's just something I, I I do not relate, and I'm not trying to dog anybody. If you're passionate about that, man, you go do what you're passionate about. But I don't relate to the person that goes, that was a stupid pick. I've got him graded way higher than that. All of my boards are based off of consensus big board, right, PFF grades, Greg Cosell. See, I've got a group of scouts bringing me the information, just like the front office does. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand how to evaluate talent better than a front office. There's nothing wrong with doing that as a hobby. But when the, when the remarks become, I had him graded higher than that. (laughs) Can't believe they missed that one. How stupid that I I don't know, man, that's just silly. I don't buy into that. But with that being said, guess what I did for our boy, Nathan, I broke down this quarterback class. So here we are (laughs) again. I want everybody to take this with a grain of salt. Um, I'm basing this off of the four things that I think are most important. Accuracy, quick release, 
pre-snap read, post-snap read. I threw this list together in one hour, guys. One hour in which about 25 to 30 minutes of it was me watching four highlight reels of these top four quarterbacks, one for each. Okay. And really, I just watched the highlight reel to watch the release. I wanted to grade the the their quick release. Okay. So here are the, the quarterbacks that are in play. Okay. Let me pull it up here. I think I've got it. Yeah, consensus big board. Let's see if we can get it back up. So quarterbacks for as far as consensus big board, number three, Bryce Young is your top quarterback, okay? Number four, C.J. Stroud. Those two seem to be at the top of the pack. This one really surprised me here. Number six is Will Levis. Guys, I'm a Kentucky fan through and through. You guys know Kentucky and Notre Dame are my two college teams. I grew up in Kentucky. During the Tim Couch era, a huge Kentucky football fan. So you're going, man, I feel sorry for you. I appreciate that. I really do because it has been bad over the years. But I would. there is nobody on the face of the earth that wants Will Levis to work out more than me, okay? Nobody. But I'm going to be honest about this evaluation. They've got him number six on the consensus big board. And then number 20, Anthony Richardson, the one that's been the big talk in the town here lately. So, again, you got Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson – in that order, the next one is Tanner McKee and then Hendon Hooker. We're not going to touch on those. They're they're at 57 and 67. Hendon Hooker looked good. He peaked at 20, but we all know he had that horrible injury at the end of the year. He's now falling to 67. So let's stick with the top four. Let's do it. Here's how I came up with this. First of all, it's basically there's five things implemented into this grade I'm going to put on them. One is their PFF grade in college. Two is their completion percentage for accuracy purposes. Three is their quick release. I did a five grade scale, one to five, right? One to five with five being an, the absolute best quick release you can have and then one being the worst, okay? So we're grading quick release based off the tape. Pre-snap, ability to pre-snap read. I went with their team's points per play. Now, I know this is what I was talking about on the top at the top of the hour here um, on the pod. People are going to, oh, that's not a good indication. Okay, if it isn't, I'm error on the side of caution because you can't be a great post-snap reader, right, and a team have an extremely low PPP because if you were so great at reading post-snap, no matter what the supporting cast is, then you would be a difference maker and you wouldn't allow your team's offense to absolutely sink. That's just my opinion. The other thing to come into play here are injuries. I don't know all the injuries that people went through this year. You know, Will Levis is is going to – he's going to have an extremely low points per play for his offense because he did miss time with the finger. You guys know I literally bought tickets to the South Carolina game. I'm going to go up there and kill two birds with one stone. I want to see Will Levis play a, a, a SEC game. At home, I want to see him rise to the occasion and prove that, hey, man, this is a pro quarterback. And then you also get Spencer Rattler, who's kind of on his heels, who was a top prospect two years ago. Now he's had to transfer to South Carolina. I want to see those two guys play against each other. Lo and behold, I get the Lexington, and it's a game-time decision, and Will Levis can't play because of his finger. I was like, my God. And I sat up there and watched Kentucky get their head thumped by South Carolina, which Spencer Rattler kind of looked good in that game, to be honest with you. But, again, Spencer Rattler is not entered into this draft, I don't think. I think he's going to come back next year, but that's neither here nor there. So, Will Levis is on the list, um, uh, and I mentioned that because of accuracy. So, uh, PPP, right, is going to be the pre-snap read, post-snap read. What I did was I took into consideration three statistics, interceptions, sacks, and fumbles. Guys, one of the things that I've noticed this year in the NFL that's a true game changer are teams taking sacks. 
Aaron Rodgers, that was one thing he did really bad this year. And it's why it was like, is it in his mind that he can't make those throws because the thumb is so badly injured? Or is his mind slowing down a bit as you get older in your career and you know your legs are starting to go? Is that why he's taking these sacks? Because he, he he's just kind of hesitating, right? You've seen a little bit of both, in my opinion. It's not the it's not the popular answer because it doesn't drive a, a good talking point for the media heads, but I think it's a little bit of both. But again, post-snap read, interceptions, sacks, and fumbles. Now, you can sit here and say, well, sacks doesn't have anything to do with quarterbacks because he's not being protected. Okay, quarterback has the ability to throw the ball away, guys. Doesn't that come into – the formula of post-snap read. So here we go. It's right at the top. We're going to start in order. Consensus big board, Bryce Young, PFF grade 91.5. Completion percentage 64.5. Quick release, I felt like he graded out as a four out of five. Five being the best, I put him as a four. Thought he had a really quick release, really quick release. Um, Pre-snap, his team's PPP, points per play, 595. Okay? And then you've got post-snap read. Interceptions, he had five interceptions. He was sacked eight to 18 times, and he had one fumble, okay? You total up that number, and then I rank them amongst the other quarterbacks, one through four, where they rank. And where they rank determines their final tally number, the lower number wins. That's how I did this scouting, okay? So for Bryce Young, he was first in PFF grade, third in completion percentage, second in quick release, second in pre-snap uh, points, you know, or slash points per play, and he was second in post-snap read. So that's how he grades out. First, third, second, second, second for a combined grade of 10. All right, let's move on to C.J. Stroud. PFF grade, 88.9. He's second in PFF grade. Accuracy, 66.3. He was first. Quick release, five out of five. Guys, his release, he looks like he's flicking his wrist. It, it kind of reminded me of Mike Vick. You know, one of the things about Mike Vick was just that, just that quick flick. Bang, and that ball was out. Um, I feel like C.J. Stroud has the quickest release of all the quarterbacks in this draft. And coming in, I thought Will Levis may have that, but hands down to me, it's C.J. Stroud. Pre-snap read, his team's points per play finished at 648. That's first place of the quarterbacks. Post-snap read, he had six interceptions, took 12 sacks, and fumbled twice. Total number of 20, that puts him in first place. So his total number is six. Keep in mind, Bryce Young's was 10. C.J. Stroud's was six. Moving on to Will Levis. PFF grade. Listen to me, guys. Yes, he missed time with the injury, right? Uh, yes, he plays for Kentucky, who is a, you know, a, a lot worse than Alabama and Ohio State, right? But his PFF grade was a 68.6. I want to say that again. Will Levis's PFF grade, offensive PFF grade, a 68.6. This isn't passing PFF grade. This is overall PFF grade because I take into consideration running too. Notice I'm not including the 40 times. You notice I'm not including scrambling ability because when you look at all four of these quarterbacks, Bryce Young has the ability to scramble. C.J. Scrout has the ability to scramble. Will Levis has the ability to scramble. Anthony Richardson, darn sure, has the ability to scramble. But I'm not worried about 40 times, but I will say that that stuff matters as far as PFF grade and overall offensive grade because there's a running grade that's involved too, right? So, again, 68.6, that puts him dead last at fourth. See, he should be lower, but because we're only grading four players, you know, kind of in this in this uh, this vacuum, if you will, he only gets a four there. So, again, I'm a Kentucky fan. Accuracy, 65.4, he's second. 
Quick release, four out of five. He's tied for second. All, all three quarterbacks other than C.J. Stroud finished with a quick release of four out of five, uh, so they just kind of push there. Pre-snap or points per play? Pre-snap read, how well was he at getting his team in the right look and reading the read option or running an RPR, a run-pass-run option, right? How good was he at being effective? Guys, their points per play dipped to 299, .299. That's fourth of these quarterbacks. And then post-snap read, he had 10 interceptions, took 37 sacks, and I've seen this all year long watching Will Levis. You've got the ability to scramble. You've got the ability to maneuver and manipulate the pocket. And he would stand there like a statue. Now, he'll stand tall and make a throw and take a hit, yes, but he took 37 sacks this year. I mean, when you compare that to the, none of the other three quarterbacks took 20 sacks, and he took 37 I mean, it's just crazy to me. I mean, he literally tripled the amount of sacks. You cannot come into the NFL and just think, okay, well, we just take a sack here. you got to throw the freaking ball away. Every play is designed to have a throwaway, whether it's at the feet of a receiver or out of bounds beyond a deep out, whatever it is. That's not a good stat. Again, I'm a Kentucky fan, but Will Levis played like hot garbage. It's a fact. And uh, he also had three fumbles. So he had more fumbles than anybody, he and Anthony Richardson, he had triple the amount of sacks as some of these quarterbacks. Yeah, at least two of them, right? And then he threw 10 interceptions. So that's kind of how I see that. You know, Bryce Young, again, five interceptions. He threw twice as many interceptions as Bryce Young and almost twice as many as C.J. Stroud. So those numbers put him in fourth, second, second, fourth, and fourth. His total number is 16 on the grade. Next, Anthony Richardson. PFF grade, 80.1, okay? Not bad, but significantly lower than Bryce Young's 91.5 and C.J. Stroud's 88.9, right? That puts him in third place. Accuracy. Remember what I talked about in the top of the hour here when we were, when I when I answered the email and I said, man, the thing that stood out to me was he was uncomfortable in the pocket and he was very inaccurate. Both things are very important at the NFL level, more importantly, accuracy. His completion percentage was 53.8. Now, I don't know what Josh Allen's completion percentage was in college. I do know that was the big knock on Josh Allen. So you got to take that into consideration. But if I'm truly scouting these players and putting a grade on them and trying to determine are any of these quarterbacks worth taking if they fall to the Packers or if they get within reach that the Packers can trade up if Aaron retires or if you know Jordan Love isn't the guy, right? Um, man. Anthony Richardson, 53.8. That's that's a hard sell on me, man. It really is. Quick release, four of five. So he's a push with the other three. Pre-snap read or post or points per play, his team finished with a 413. Guys, his completion percentage was 53.8%, right? Will Levis's was 65.4. Yet his team's points per play were 0.413, and Will Levis's didn't even crack the three mark. I mean, that's saying a lot. It really is. And then post-snap read, um, interceptions 9, sacks 13, fumbles 3, totaling out to 25. So he rates 3rd, 4th, 2nd, 3rd, and 3rd in those categories, giving him a total score of 15. So with all that being said, how do they grade out, right? Number one on my quarterback board, based off of this, again, one hour of scouting these quarterbacks, and I want to say into the mic very, very clearly, I am not a scout. 
I am not pretending to know more than front offices. This is just how I've seen of the four things I feel like are important. And the one thing that is questionable is the points per play slash uh, pre-snap read. I can understand how people go, that's not an accurate assessment of pre-snap read. Again, I feel like it's error on the side of caution. So I'm taking the player whose team had a higher points per play than the team that didn't. Just me personally. So C.J. Stroud grades out as my top quarterback with a total a final grade of six. The lower number, guys, in rating here, in ranking of these four quarterbacks, is going to have the most value. Bryce Young comes in second at 10. Anthony Richardson comes in third at 15. And Will Levis comes in fourth at 16. Now, the special note I would put at the bottom is one of the things that drove Will Levis down is his team's points per play. So I would dig into the tape on that. How does he look pre-snap read? How many times did they come out and run a play and it was just like, man, that was stuffed and it was the quarterback's responsibility to get them in a better look, to get them over to the cam play. He read the read option wrong. He read the RPR wrong. He read the uh, the RPO wrong, whatever it may be, right? Um, I would dig into the tape a little bit more there, and it might sway me over Anthony Richardson. But again, the special note on Anthony Richardson is that accuracy at 538 uh, percent completion percentage. Will Levis's was 65%. So that's how I see it, man. Essentially, C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in this draft. That's my personal opinion where I sit right now. That could change. If I dug into the tape more, I might see something a little different. But C.J. Stroud will be my top pick. Bryce Young will be my second. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are pretty much tied for three and four, although there's one point apart. You'd have to give the nod to Anthony Richardson. I do not feel comfortable taking either of those bottom two quarterbacks. Now, that sounds a lot like when um, when Lamar Jackson came out. I don't remember his completion percentage. I think it was actually pretty high. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of people that weren't high on Lamar Jackson. And now we look back and go, how did they pass on Lamar Jackson? I'm still not extremely high on him. But at the same time, man, he won an MVP. Like, how in the world can you claim he's not a good quarterback? You know what I mean? And he plays within the offense, which is run heavy and, and all that quarterback design run and all that. So all that comes into play. It really does. So that's my rankings, Nathan. When you look at it, I'm going to answer your question now. C.J. Stroud is the top one. Bryce Young, then Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. At number 15, if he's available, I am definitely taking C.J. Stroud. If somehow, some way, C.J. Stroud drops a 15, I would take him. If the Packers trade up to get C.J. Stroud because Aaron retired or they know Jordan Love isn't the guy, I'm on board with it. If they take a quarterback at 15, it tells me that they think he's graded higher than Jordan Love, and that's all that matters, period. And they could miss. Guys, you swing and miss in the draft. It's the name of the game, right? And I'm the guy who's been kind of critical of Goody here lately because I look at his last three draft classes like, man, this ain't been good. I say last three, 2019, 2021, and uh, 2020 and 2021. That doesn't include 2022, which is actually looking pretty good right now. So he may rebound. When we do this again next offseason and I include the 2022 draft class, we're going to look at it and probably go, hey, man, he really rebounded because that, that did look like a solid class this year. It really, really did. So that's how I see the quarterback position. Hopefully that answered your question, Nathan. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to email us and uh, tell your wife I am 
very appreciative for the compliment that it's awesome that uh, my voice and my podcast is so boring it puts your daughter to sleep. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's move on to the last thing, and, and hopefully that made sense to you guys. If it didn't, um, hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up in an email. Say, hey, man, you you covered this, and I didn't agree with it. It's totally cool for us to disagree, and you may give me uh, an angle that I otherwise didn't see, right? Um, and uh, obviously just keep it respectful, and I'll always respond. There's some people that never get responded to because they're just they're jerks, and I know without a shadow of a doubt they wouldn't say that to my face on the street. And, you know, it is what it is. That's social media. So the last thing we're going to wrap up with, man, there was a really cool video and uh, I really, really enjoyed this. I shared it on Twitter. It was about Aaron Jones. It was on the final episode um, of I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the name of it, but it's on Packers.com. It's kind of their weekly show they do. And uh, you've got um, The Rock interviewing, uh, you know, not the wrestler, The Rock, but Larry McCarron, <laughs> the rock, you know, the former center for the Green Bay Packers interviewing Aaron Jones. And I just want to say, man, how appreciative I am of, of Aaron Jones. He's a leader of this team. He had his best statistical rushing season of the, of the, his career this year. I think he finished with 1100 and some yards. They mentioned it on the video, but they just kind of highlight him and his personality. And I'm just going to play it for you here. Give a thought, uh, a couple of thoughts, and uh, parting comments, and then we'll wrap this thing up. But let's just let's get right to it. Here he is, uh, Aaron Jones. Name the Packers' best offensive player for the entire season, the whole ball of wax. I think you'd name Aaron Jones, and you know what? He's just as impactful off the field. What did your mom say when she learned? that you were the Packers nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for the second straight year. What did she say? Uh, she was just so happy. She she just came and gave me a big hug and told me how proud she was of me. And that's uh, one of the things that, you know, just warms my heart, just hearing my mom and my dad say, I'm proud of you. Say it after games and things like that, but um, for something that you do off of the field. And, my parents have a big hand in that. I, I tell, I told my mom thank you as well. You know, um, they have a big hand in that and helping me become who I've become and the man I've become. Walter Payton, Man of the Year Award, excellence on and off the field. It is a big deal. But knowing that, I decided to go back and look at Walter's from my era. Look at Walter's statistics and Aaron Jones' four-year career. Up to this very moment, you average five plus a carry. Do you know how many the great Walter Payton averaged per carry? Mm, I'm gonna say 4.9 or 4.8? 4.4. 4.4. And he only had one season where he averaged five plus, and you're now doing it for four. And I wanted to ask, was there a moment when you came into the league where you said, you know what? I can do this and do it extremely well. When I went to go take my first snap on the on the field, when uh, A-Rock greeted me out there and, you know, he just gave me a boost of confidence. He hadn't taken an office to snap me. He goes, uh, you're one of my favorite people in this organization. I believe in you. And just for him to say that uh, meant a lot to me. He kind of saw what I could do and uh, how serious I was about the game. Both Aaron Rodgers and... Love it. I'm just going to end it there. Love what Aaron said. Aaron said, Aaron said about him. 
I know that's kind of hard to say, but, <laughs> um, you know, was there a moment when you realized I can do this? And he said it was when Aaron Rodgers came to him, one of the first times being on the field with Aaron Rodgers. And he said, you're one of my favorite people in this organization, and I believe in you. Now, I want you to go comb through Twitter and hear what the media is saying about Aaron Rodgers. He's selfish. He only cares about cares about MVPs. They completely cherry-picked it, which is why I tweeted the entire video on Twitter because I knew they would. And they completely cherry-picked it and was like, oh, see, he's only interested in winning MVPs because he said, yeah, I think I could still win an MVP. Like, why, why is it about MVPs? They completely cherry-picked and didn't mention the fact that he said it's all about if you can't win a championship, why even come back? That's what he's talking about, a rebuild. If you're telling me we're going to tear it down and we're not even going to compete for a Super Bowl, I don't want to be a part of it. So when he says that, nobody even talks about it, which he's basically saying the most important thing is winning Super Bowls. And then they ask him, you know, some people say you declined this year. Was it the thumb or is this the clip? You know, whatever. Do you think you can still play? Yeah, I think I could come back and win an MVP. That's a personal act. That's literally – a way too great, a personal performance. They asked him, can you personally perform? And he said, I think I can be the best. And everybody's like, all he cares about is MVPs. It's amazing. And, and then the same day that that hits, the Packers release this video, and they're talking about Aaron Jones. And they ask him, when was the moment that you realized, man, you, I can do this. I can make it in this league. Because he was like a fifth-round pick or whatever it was. It was a late-round pick. I know that. When was the moment? It's when Aaron Rodgers came to me on the field, and I was young and unproven, and nobody knew that what I could do. And he said, "You're one of my favorite people in this entire organization, and I believe in you." But Aaron Rodgers is a bad teammate. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So anyway, back to Aaron Jones. They mentioned a statistic there. Aaron Jones is averaging for his career over five yards per carry. Ryan talked about – I remember Ryan talking about this two or three years ago, and the caveat was always – and that's what I love about Ryan's approach is, yeah, it's early. He always imp installs that, hey, look, you know, but it's important in context that it's early in the guy's career. Can he continue to do that? He's continuing to do that. Five yards per carry on his career. Walter Payton only had four point four yards per carry on career average. Guys, he – and that, I don't care what anybody says. The most important statistic for a running back, it's not touchdowns, right? Although Aaron Jones has a ton of touchdowns too. It's yards per carry. Yards per carry and not fumbling the ball. Now, the big thing that's been talked about is he fumbles a lot. He fumbles a lot. He doesn't fumble a lot. Has he fumbled in crucial spots? Absolutely. The playoff game against the Niners – and then, of course, this playoff game against the Lions, which you guys know, Mike Wall picked it out on tape. I re, uh, you know, I, I spoke about it on this podcast as well. Bob Tunyon had no interest in making that block, and the guy that hit him was the reason he was having to kind of extend his arm and shield himself from that hit as he's getting blindsided by another guy, and that's what caused the fumble. I put that fumble 50% on Bob Tunyon because he should have thrown that freaking block. Instead, he played patty cake and got on his heels and didn't even – it wasn't even like, man, he just got out-muscled. He was not interested in making that block. But 
Five yards per carry on the career. Walter Payton only had 4.4. He's outrushing arguably one of the best running backs in the entire National Football League. His fumbles are not high like people are suggesting. It's because it's happened at crucial moments. And, hey, look, I get it. It's bad. It's it. I personally think that's the reason we lost against the Lions was that fumble before halftime. You literally lost the turnover differential and you lost the, the – uh, the middle eight in one play. I get it. It was a huge play, but you got to put some respect on Aaron Jones's name. This is the best offensive player on the Packers roster. And I do include Aaron Rodgers in that. Now, Aaron may bounce back next year and go, nope, Aaron regained the throne. And that'd be, that's awesome, right? Let's hope he does. He loves the organization. He's the best offensive player. Guys, and we have people this year going, oh, you can't you can't keep Aaron Jones on the roster. You got to cut Aaron Jones. You got to cut David Bakhtiari. You got to trade Aaron Rodgers. You got to stop playing Madden, people. It's the best offensive player on the roster. But we can't handle this contract. You can't handle this contract. Really? Okay, his cap hit is $20 million. Got it. We know it drifts back to $16 million next year. He's got 8.1 in base salary and 7.4 in roster bonus. Now, you could go to Aaron Jones and say, hey, man, we can't pay you this $20 million cap yet. We're going to need you to negotiate. Would you take half the salary? Meaning, would you take a pay cut? Now, if the organization is willing to go to that player who's put it all on the line and he's averaging more yards per carry than Walter Payton on his career and he was the best offensive player on the roster and they go to him and go, you got to take a pay cut, that's wrong. So I think the proper thing to do for Aaron Jones, for the person he is, Walter Payton, man of the year, everything you want in a Packer player in the community, for everybody who complains about Aaron Rodgers not coming to every single offseason activity at the facility, Aaron Jones is always there. And you're still – you just throw him out to the let's, – let's cut him. Cut him loose. That's silly. I think the organization owes it to Aaron Jones to go, you know what, Aaron, here's the elephant in the room. We can't afford a $20 million cap hit this year, okay? If you're willing to take a pay cut, the, the team greatly appreciates that. But we respect you too much to ask you that. So that's a decision you can make. And if you don't want to, what we're going to do is restructure some of this salary of $8.1 million and this roster bonus of $7.4, and we're going to give you a bonus. We're going to give you a kick up this year. We're going to convert it to signing bonus. We're going to cut you that check for however much it is. Let's say it's $10 million. We're going to cut you a check for $10 million this year, and we're going to tack on two voidable years, and we're going to eat the cost three years down the road because you mean that much to this organization. That's how you do business. That's how you create a better culture. That's how you get free agents wanting to come to Green Bay, not by stripping down the roster and going, we just need to turn the page. It's so silly, man. You could tell people have never been a part of the team. So that's all I got, guys. Don't mean to end on a – Dramatic note, but, man, that drives me crazy. When I heard that he's averaging more yards per carry than Walter Payton and we got idiots running around on Twitter saying you got to cut Aaron Jones, it just ain't working. It just ain't working. The fact that it ain't working has nothing to do with Aaron Jones. You don't throw the ba- the, the baby out with the bathwater. That's the silliest thing ever. I, I don't understand it. So, anyway, thank you, Bill, for the email. <laughs> thank you, Nathan, for the email, man. Um the questions you asked caused me to dig deeper into some of this information. And like it always happens, the listeners provide the topics uh, in some cases. And every time you guys do, it makes the show better and it allows me to learn something else. So I really appreciate you guys and your time. I also want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen today and making us a part of your Thursday afternoon, or unless you're listening to us on Friday, whenever you are, we really appreciate you taking time to hang out with us. It means the world to us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.
on the fake. Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.